Hi, I'm Leanne, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Beaten, Not Broken. Today's episode will be featuring Danny's story of surviving domestic violence. So let's give a warm welcome to Danny. I just want to start off by saying thank you for being with us today and feeling comfortable enough to share your story with us. Putting yourself out there takes real strength, and we commend you for your bravery. If you could do a quick introduction and let the audience know your name and how long you experienced domestic violence. My name is Danny Smith Mathis. I'm a domestic violence survivor after a 26-year marriage. Thank you for that, and let's jump right in. Danny, could you please tell us your domestic violence story from the beginning to end in as much or as little detail as you feel comfortable sharing? Well, first of all, let me again thank you for uh, listening to the story and uh, being concerned enough to record this and to document it. My story began on my birthday in 1984, three months before my my wedding. And it actually happened one evening after a date, if you will, a birthday date with my then-to-be husband. And we were scheduled to go out to dinner that night. And we worked at the same company, but different offices. And it was winter and uh, before cell phones. And so it was very late picking me up from from work to go to this date. And by the time he did pick me up, it was kind of anticlimactic. You know how that is. People are late. It's your birthday and you're all excited. And then it's yeah. late whatever. So interestingly enough, uh, we did go out and Milo was late and uh, took the dessert home. And uh, we went back to the apartment where he was living. I was living with my parents at the time, not too far. And I remember him being very upset because I did not want to eat this dessert. And I thought, well, that's a really like weird uh, and strong reaction to just something I didn't want to do. And I remember him pushing me into, it was like a refrigerator, just his reaction was just like, well, I don't even remember if he said anything or whatever. And I just thought, wow, that's a pretty strong reaction. So I just kind of chalked it up to a late night and, you know, somebody just wanted you to enjoy yourself and tried to put the best spin on it as I could. Let's just put it that way. Long story short, I did think it was a little bit unusual, had a little hesitation at the time, but I thought, eh, you know, I'll just chalk it up to, you know, um, just a bad night. You know, everybody has bad days. Well, that bad night turned into 26 very bad years. And um, let's see, fast forward 10 years, 10 years later, um, we got into some kind of disagreement late that night. At that time, I had just had, I had my third child was three years old. I had three children by then. Uh, We've been married 10 years, uh, going on 10 years. And I remember that night we had a disagreement and it had been a very bad snowstorm. Um, I'm from New Jersey and we were living in New Jersey at the time. And the snowstorm was so bad. It was 12 inches of snow. We lived on a dead end street. And so I remember him being very angry and he threw me out of the house in the 12 inches of snow with a nightgown on, no shoes, and uh, locked me out. And I was very, very cold, needless to say. I broke myself back into my home. And uh, when I broke into the home on the back door area, this is like midnight. Again, it was my birthday. And I remember when I came into the door, the side door, he heard me coming in and came through the kitchen where I was entering. 
and put me, literally picked me up off of the ground with both hands by uh, my shoulders and he threw me into a wall and the, t- the wall was tiled and my head burst open and just kind of like <laughs> blood just gushed out like the rock of Gibraltar. And I remember my children were asleep and the first thing I was thinking about was, oh my gosh, am I going to bleed out and die? And I didn't want my children seeing the blood all over the kitchen floor and I made my way into the bathroom. We had one bathroom in the house at the time and and I put my rag of some sort, I guess it was a dish towel, um, on the t- on my head. And then I had another towel I was wiping up blood with. So I was moving around very quickly. And I just, you know, all, all I could think about was my children. And, all I, and then I thought, well, somebody else needs to know that I'm in this condition. And I didn't want to call 911 myself I wanted someone else to call because I wanted someone else to know of mm-hmm. my condition and it's just really really something how when you're in that situation you really really do think about lots of logistics and yeah. and it, it's amazing and I remember his only reaction was you better call someone and get you some help I'm going back to bed and that's exactly what he did and so I uh, called a pastor who didn't live far from my home at the time, he and his wife. And they were actually the guardian of my three children at the time. And so anyway, uh, they came, but there was so much snow on the ground that they couldn't drive their car down the street. And the ambulance came and they couldn't get the ambulance down the street either. So when the EMTs came, they came and they took me uh, from the house and they walked me back up to the ambulance. And then um, we got to the hospital. I got nine stitches in my, or six stitches in my head. And then I went back to my pastor's house to figure out what I was going to do. And I did take a protective order out and I did go to court and I did press charges. Mm -hmm. But then I got very, very scared because I didn't want my children growing up without a father. And I also didn't want my children in a court system because they were all minors. Mm -hmm. And perpetrators have a very um, interesting way of being, you know, making their story the believable story. So I was a, I was afraid of that. So I dropped charges and I just tried to figure out what to do. I stayed in that marriage for, you know, because of that reason, I just didn't leave because of my children. And I just figured it out along the way, you know? Mm-hmm. And so in the meantime, it just got worse and worse. And, but it was intermittent because he traveled a lot. And so usually during the week, I was home with the children on my own. And then on the weekends, he would come back from his job. He had a very good, good, lucrative job. Um, I was a stay-at-home mom for 20 years. I am college educated, and I have a master's degree, and I come from educated parents. And all that kind of stuff growing up, I'd never heard about it. That was not my story. Um, That was not my tradition. That was not a legacy anybody left in our family. It wasn't genetic, (laughs) and it it wasn't part of you know, a culture that I grew up in. It was something that I uh, learned to live with. And then I think the turning point for me was years later after 
uh, we moved out of the area that I'd grown up in and my children were born and grown up in. Um, we moved to Atlanta, Georgia about six years after that. This is what perpetrators do. They take you away from what you're familiar with yeah. and they take you to unknown places and and where you don't have a support system. But my story in God's providence turned out very very different. I ended up uh, founding a track team, a youth track and field team, USA Track and Field and AAU, and it really became the thing that that gave me life. And it was the one thing that my um, ex-husband couldn't take from me. And subsequently learned to, you know, he did not like that team. (laughs) He did like what that team was doing for me and my children. We, um, you know, ended up traveling a lot with the track team and, and poured my life and my energy into uh, hundreds of athletes mm-hmm. um, who I am still in touch with to this day. And and eventually um, the turning point for me came after our youngest son was off to college. About two weeks before he went to college, I remember he came to me because he was the only son, uh, child that I had that was home alone for two years. And um, when he turned 18, he went to college, and that's when the last incident happened. I remember on September first, 2009, I remember um, having a discussion with my um, husband at the time about my daughters, something having to do with my daughter's room and board. Um, mm-hmm. She was away at college, and, and then, of course, a, a difference of opinion ensued. And I had gotten smart and just learned how to walk away, not to engage in any kind of differing opinion conversation. Yeah. And he didn't like he did not like that because he couldn't control me at that point because I had learned I'd just gotten smarter. It took me a long time. But I'd just gotten smarter and, and I was tired of it and where it would lead. And so I was actually packing for a trip to New Jersey. Uh, my godparents were celebrating their sixtieth wedding anniversary and and uh, he, of course, knew them, and he had been invited but chose not to go, and I wasn't going to miss it. I, you know, when this conversation ensued, I knew where it would head, and I just did not want any parts of the violence. Mm-hmm. But he followed me into the room where I chose to uh, relocate myself to to continue packing my bags, and he just refused to not argue with me. And I just wasn't having any of it, and I didn't say anything, and I just continued to pack. And then, of course, that made him mad because I wasn't engaging in the conversation and kind of, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um, so there's no way out of it. It's just how they operate. And I remember I was in a room that had one way in and one way out. I walked in, and I remember he punched me. And he called me a bad name and he threw a magazine at me and then he pushed me and then he told me he, I hoped that he hoped I died on my trip and then he spit in my face. And I'm telling you, he had done all those other things before except spit in my face. When that man spit in my face, I knew I had to go because to me, that was the most devastating and hate-filled act that you can do to any human being. And I thought, okay, if I stay here, I will certainly die. My youngest son had just gone, we had just taken him to college two weeks before that. 
And I remember him saying to me, mom, I don't want to leave because I know if I leave and go to college, dad will start doing all this stuff all over again. And I was like, oh, no, you know, I was trying to have hope Mm -hmm. and it would be empty nesters and we'll start all over again, get a fresh start and all of that. And then that incident happened. I thought (laughs) my son was so right and I got to get out of here. So three weeks later, he was scheduled to go on a business trip and he left. And and so did I. And I never went back. And then I. I, but you know, funny thing about it was I did not want a divorce. I had not been raised in divorce. My parents were married 43 years until my mother died of breast cancer. My father died a year later because he couldn't stand living without her. Um, my grandparents were married 72 years and there was not divorce in our family. There was not violence in our family. There was not divorce. Um, and, you know, his parents didn't come from that. Um, they were very, you know, faithful to one another as far as I know and could tell. And so I really never knew where that came from, where that, that hatred and need to do that came from. But anyway, um, when I did confront him with it, when I did come back from my trip, mm-hmm. I did confront him with it. And I said, you know, divorce was not an option for me, but I was willing to stay in the marriage if he was willing to admit he had a problem and to get help with the problem. And he told me under no circumstances, could that, that could there be ever a time when it didn't happen again, unless we got out of each other's lives. So I thought, okay, well, there it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and ironically, he divorced me. And <laughs> that's how my story ended. After 26 years of marriage, he divorced me because he just wanted to move on and didn't want to get help. Once again, I just want to say thank you for sharing. From your story alone, I can tell that you're a very resilient and strong person. And I really admire that. And I just have one more question for you, Danny. Could you tell us your next steps in the future? Well, I've been divorced almost a decade now. Um, I have moved on. I have been able to heal through forgiveness. Forgiveness is for you more than it, more than it is for the other person. Um, you can't really heal and move on if you don't forgive. Um, and I think that has been the most freeing gesture that I could have imposed upon myself. It was not easy and it, it did not happen overnight. I was able to write about my story and I will encourage everyone to go to Amazon.com and, and and uh, you can read my story along with 12 other stories in a book called uh, Survivors Celebrating Life Beyond Domestic Violence. My name is Danny Smith Mathis. My story is in that um, beautiful book. And I would um, be honored if you would uh, join me in reading that and reading the uh, stories of um, the other survivors as well. Danny, the pleasure is all mine. And for you listeners out there, if you want to support Danny or you really liked her story, please check out survivors celebrating life beyond domestic violence it is written by taria ogletree and is available on amazon everyone please go check that out and that concludes today's episode of beaten not broken thanks for tuning in